rinse it? That's my question, though. Why do I need to rinse it? Because you put wasabi in it. Yeah, and? That's Wasa- not just you, like a you, normal flavor. You like wasabi. Not in my beer. Have you no. ever heard of wasabi beer? No. Just because I haven't heard it doesn't mean it doesn't no. exist. Okay. It is going. Oh, for how long? 10 seconds? 20 seconds? Oh, okay. Well, fine. Let me taste it out of this then. You want to pop your top so you can drink with me? I can get my fingernails under there. I don't you care. need a, a can. Drink. Do you want to talk about the elephant in the room? It's not really an elephant in the room, but we never actually discussed what happened to me earlier this week. And what was that? So, I got home from work at night. At night. Yeah. And I went and I laid down and I started to try to fall asleep. And then there was this feeling I had. And people might think I'm crazy. Or maybe they won't. We'll see. But I don't know. I think if you're listening to a true crime podcast, maybe you're sort of okay with this kind of stuff also. I don't know. There's some crossover. But anyway... I lay down, and I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, it feels like something reaches inside my body and grabs my heart and squeezes it three times, specifically. And they're, like, pulling outward and squeezing at the same time. So it felt like it was coming out, and there was just three distinct squeezes, and then that was it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I felt this feeling of dread and, like, anxiety, and every time I closed my eyes, there was, like, a face... It was like, I would like close my eyes and open them and there was just like teeth and eyes and that was it. And I could not fall asleep for the longest time because every time I did that, that would happen. And I Googled it even. <laughs> I Googled it. Hi, Callie. At what, what? At night? Or at night, yeah. Day? I'm like, is there any association between, you know, malevolent spirits and like, the feeling of your heart being grabbed and I didn't like I didn't see anything of other people it was just like heart palpitations here's what medical reasons you might be having heart palpitations I was like no I'm not having heart palpitations I know this like I've had that feeling where your heart is pounding in your chest and it's like are the growing pains where it feels like you're having a heart attack yeah or yeah so I've had what a heart attack feels like I don't know but I've had those kinds of pains before and this was just like three things and done and then it was just like this whole emotional response afterward that was just like i felt like there was just something going on in our room that's the second time you didn't wake me up when you felt more swing in the room but to be fair when i got home before that like before i started trying to fall asleep and that happened i tried to wake you up because you had texted me that you loved me, and then I was busy at work, and I missed it, and then you fell asleep, and I wanted to tell you that I loved you. So I tried to wake you up as soon as I got home just to tell you I loved you. I even, like, moved you a little bit, and I, like, talked to you, and you just didn't move. So, like, what's the point of me trying? Because the second time, or the first time, you said something was, like, tr- like hovering over me, and you did nothing about it. Mm-mm. I got up and looked around the room. You made no attempt to wake me up. I know, that's true. I'm sorry. But I did try to find who was in the room. Yeah, but now, for all you know, what you saw... (gasps) Came with you! Yeah, got me. No. It is now making its move on you. 
No. But do you think I'm crazy? <sighs> of course. No, I'm serious. I don't know. I've never experienced anything like that, so... I know what I felt. And I used to be such a skeptic. And then I've had these times where I've just been like, no, this this is not... I'm not making this up. It was crazy. Nobody wants to just see, a, like, a jagged mouth when you're, like, laying in the dark. I saw something, probably, like, a satirical post. Somebody's like, if you ever see, like, a ghost or something in your house, they're just, like... You should shake hands with it, because then the ghost knows you're a ghost. Ghost! <laughs> Anything weird happen, or fun happen, or exciting happen in your week? Mm, I don't think so. Besides ordering <laughs> expensive microphones. You gotta do what you gotta do. I know. It's because we love this so much and we want to give the best version of our podcast. I'm using mine for streaming. I'm going to be a Twitch star now. Oh boy. What are you going to play? Fortnite? Sure, it's free. Ugh. Apex Legends. Ugh. No thank you. No thank you. No thank you. What you drinking today? Super 8 from Dogfish Head. Not the movie, which I actually really like. No, it's 8 spelled out. Mm. It's also not the camera, but was developed or created to develop Super 8 film. Nice. What's a, what's the Super 8 beer? Like, what kind of is it? Session. A Session IPA? A session Sour. Oh, it's a Goza. Go- it's a Goza. Cool. Prickly pear, mango, boysenberry, blackberry, raspberry, Oh my gosh, that elderberry, sounds so good. Is it kiwi good? Kiwi and toasted quinoa. Quinoa. Is it so good? It sounds amazing. I really love Dogfish Head. Doesn't have much of a nose. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a new beer by Glutenberg, which is very exciting to me. I've mentioned I like Glutenberg a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I I actually messaged them on Instagram and asked them, for a suggestion on what beer I should try next, because I've only ever had the IPA. And I was like, yeah, I always drink them when we're recording our podcast. And they were like, cool. And they suggested that I try the stout. So this is the stout, and it's actually really good. I don't know. I might like this more than the IPA. I don't know. I like it a lot. It's just that it's starting to get out of stout weather. Whatever. You want to try it? You love stouts. Mm, wasabi. No, it's good. It's good, right? Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. It's very exciting also that they were like, they gave me a suggestion. It was really cool. So I'm happy to taste test. One of these days they'll give you a, some sort of supply. Probably yeah. not lifetime supply, but... A uh, four-pack. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm happy. Mmm... Now you have to try... Now I have to try their red ale. Red. Pale. Yeah. What life you lead. You have to drink all these beers. Yeah, but I'm... I mean, I'm two for two in terms of enjoyment, so I'm, I have high hopes. I think it's going to go well. Maybe, maybe sometime we could take a trip to Montreal and we can visit their brewery. What if they have a tap room that has gluten-free food? Oh! <gasps> 
What a dream that would be. What a dream. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. All right, who's going first this week? I forget who went first last week. I think I went first last week. Okay. Well. Well. Let me just tell you, this is five pages of notes. Oh, that's really loud. I know, I'm sorry. There. Five pages. Five pages of notes. Can you even read it? Can I read it? Barely. It's very dark in here. So are you ready for this? So ready. This is a one this is the first one that I've done that I've actually heard of. And it's it's rough. So let's talk about Teresa Knorr. Based on the name, like, I hadn't heard of it, and then I read it more, and I was like, oh, I have heard of this. So, Teresa Knorr is the person we're going to be talking about. Heir to the Knorr fortune. What? Knorr, K-N-O-R-R. Yeah, what is that? It's like McCormick, kind of like seasoning stuff. I've never heard of that. So, she was born Teresa Cross, and she was born in Sacramento, California on March 14th, 1946. She was the younger of two daughters, born to her parents, Swanee and James. Miss Swanee, the full name? Uh, everywhere said Swanee, but I don't know. I'm not sure what it would be. Swanson? <laughs> Ron Swanson? Swanee and James. In the late 1950s, so when she was still pretty young, her father was diagnosed with Parkinson's, which is really tough to watch people go through if you've ever witnessed that I have it's it's not easy so he had to quit his job I mean you lose a lot of your motor functions and things like that so he quit his job and this caused him to be pretty depressed and angry and he took all of that frustration that he had from having his Parkinson's and having to quit his job out on his family and put it into alcohol also yeah so he was just like in a really bad way and Teresa grew really close to her mom, um, and her mom ended up dying from congestive heart failure pretty early on, and she actually died right in Teresa's arms, so that caused her to kind of lose it a little bit, so she was having a really hard time with all of that. Fast forward a slight amount. In September, on September 29th, 1962, she's 16, and she drops out of high school, marries a man named Clifford Sanders, and gets pregnant. And on July 16th, 1963, she gives birth to her first son, Howard. This marriage, though, was pretty tough. Teresa often accused Clifford of cheating on her, even though he wasn't, and he said, she said it to him all the time. Um, and they got in a lot of arguments on June 22nd, 1964. Teresa claimed that Clifford punched her during one of their fights, but she didn't press charges for it or anything Does she also like have any evidence of that? Or who was she saying? Like, who was she telling? She reported it to the police, oh. but she didn't press charges. But they had tons of fights all the time. Um, on July 6th, 1964, so at this point they've been married for almost two years, the day after Clifford's birthday, 
They get in a huge fight because he spent his birthday out with his friends instead of being at home with her and their son, Howard. How old is the... The baby? The kid, yeah. He's one. Almost exactly one. Okay. Um, so she was angry that he went out with his friends instead of staying at home with them. And he was like, this is enough. You're constantly telling me I'm cheating. I can't go out with my friends. This is ridiculous. So he said he was going to leave her. And she gets really angry. What does she do? Hits him on the head with a frying pan. She shoots him in the back with a rifle and kills him. Like a coward. Yeah. Well, yeah. So she kills him and is arrested and charged with the murder. But she pleads that she's not guilty. What, self-defense? Yep, self-defense. She said she was pregnant, and he, um, so she was pregnant again, but she claims, I'm, like, I'm pregnant, we were in a fight, he was super violent and alcoholic and abused me all the time, so I was worried about me and the baby, so I shot him. Although, there was no alcohol in his system, and also she shot him in the back. Um... In some ways, you could describe that as self-defense if he was, like, going to go get, like, a knife or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was no alcohol in his system, so the alcoholic thing kind of fell through. Clifford's friends and family said that he wasn't violent at all. He had no violent tendencies. And Teresa's own sister actually said that she was possessive and jealous and would kill him so nobody else could have him. Nice. So. I also thought you were going to say possessed for a while. <laughs> she was jealous and possessed. She was the one in our bedroom last night, two nights ago. So everyone's like, this is stupid. But on September 22nd, 1964, Teresa was found not guilty because of self-defense. So she didn't get charged for anything. And then, like I said, she was pregnant and she gives birth to her first daughter, Sheila, on March 16th, 1965. Um, after Sheila was born, Teresa starts to pick up drinking more and more. She started to drink at a local American Legion in Sacramento, and she met Estelle Thornsberry, which I thought when I read it that was a woman, but it's not. It's a man. And he was a disabled veteran, and they spent a lot of time together at the American Legion. They decided to move in together, but she kind of treated him like... A lot of articles said that she treated him like a babysitter instead of a partner. So she would, they moved in together and she would leave Howard and Sheila with him and she would go out drinking and she would stay out for days at a time and leave her kids at home. Going on benders. Yeah. Um, And she was gone all the time and Estelle was getting kind of frustrated and he kind of looked into it more and discovered that she was having an affair with his best friend. Nice. Yeah. Real classy. Also, those were the days where you could get into a relationship with somebody not knowing that they had been tried for murder. Because the internet? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I never really thought of that. Huh. Yep. Um, yeah, so he's like, that's ridiculous. You're having an affair with my best friend. So he ends that relationship. Um, after her relationship ended with Estelle... She meets U.S. Marine Robert Knorr. He was a Marine, not anymore. Um, so she also just, like, ends relationship with Estelle and, like, stops sleeping with his best friend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I guess it's just all over. 
Uh, so she meets Robert Knorr. And based on the fact that she goes by Teresa Knorr, they get married after she gets pregnant again. So at this point, she's got two kids with the same guy and now a third kid with Robert. Mm -hmm. Um, On September 27th, 1966, Susan Knorr, the third child, was born during their marriage. They had three more kids. Um, September 15th, 1967, so about a year later, they have William Robert... A.K.A. Billy Bob. Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Knorr. Um, December 31st, 1968, so about a year after that, they have Robert Jr. Knorr. And then two years after that, they have Teresa Knorr, who goes by Terry. They're very... I, I, like, and my dad's a junior, and your dad's a junior. I'm really not... I'm not big into... Naming your kids after yourself. And they had two kids that they named after themselves. Yeah, just... they both got a chance. And the other one's middle name was Robert. So, like... Well, don't you usually... feel like you usually have some kind of... Your middle name is usually based on your family somehow. That's actually... You know, in my family, my middle name is my dad's first name. And my sister's middle name is my mom's middle name. And then my other sister's name is just on its own actually you know what i think her middle name is my grandma's middle name like my middle name is like my great grandfather's name or something Mm. Um, okay so they had three more kids after they had uh, susan and so at this point there's howard and sheila and susan and billy bob and robert jr and terry and robert nor and Teresa nor got it after the last child, the marriage started to fall apart, though. Like she had done before, Teresa was constantly accusing Robert of cheating on her, even though he wasn't, and he decides to leave her on June of 1971, and they get an official filed divorce in 1972. After they get a divorce, she gets married two more times. It doesn't take their names? No. 1973, she marries a railroad blah, 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 a railroad worker named Ro- Ronald Pullman, nice. and that marriage fell apart when she did her usual activity, which was leave the kids and go drinking. So they got divorced in 1974. Did she like just alternate like one one and- you're a cheater now you're a babysitter now you're cheating now you're a babysitter. Basically, yeah, they were only married for a year, um, and then in 1976. She marries Sacramento Union editor um, Chester Harris. And then the reason that their marriage falls apart is because two reasons. One is her daughter Susan started to get really close to him, which made her jealous. Mm -hmm. And two, she found out that Harris was photographing women in the nude consensually. He was in the nude? No, they were in the nude. Women, the women were nude. And his bedroom walls, there were pictures of nude women all over his bedroom walls. And also he wanted her to be among them and she did not want to be What was he them. doing with the photos, just taking them? Yeah. was it? Mm-hmm. Paying the women at least? I don't know. It didn't say. Kind of weird though. But especially the wall of naked women. Seems like you could, 
I don't know. It seems like some sort of criminal thing, but I don't know. So they got divorced. And good news for you and the listeners, we're not going to go through any more marriages. That was what, like four or five? All of these marriages fall apart, right? And her mom died, and her dad was dead, and everything like that. And she's just very unhappy. So this is when everything really starts to go downhill. I mean, it was all, always downhill. She was drinking She already has killed a man. She killed someone. She's drinking all the time. Yeah. But it's really, really takes a bad turn. So she starts becoming verbally, physically, and psychologically abusive toward her children. Um, her alcoholism and abuse started to escalate after the fourth divorce, and she gained tons of weight and became reclusive. She wanted to impose this reclusivity. Is that a word, do you think? Probably. Yeah, sure. She wanted to impose this on her kids. So she disconnects her home phone and doesn't allow the kids to have anybody over. And when interviewed much later in life, Robert Jr. said, When I was growing up, I hated the Brady Bunch because I knew nobody lived like that. I knew that because I knew what my family life was like. Nothing could be more different than the truth from the truth than that bullshit TV show. So he's seen the Brady Bunch, is very depressed because he's like, our family's not like that, nobody's like that, and assumes that, like, everyone's family is like theirs. I also don't think anybody's family is like the Brady Bunch. Well, no, but he's like, yeah, nobody's family is like that. Or the Swiss Family Robinson. Or the Partridge Family or whatever. Although, didn't that guy do drugs? Danny from the Partridge Family? Redhead? I don't remember what his name was. I I'm pretty sure he had a really bad drug problem. So I mean, I'm sure they all did, because they're all... What's lying beneath the partridges? What's um, under that partridge in a pear tree? I'm sure they all did, because they're all, like, child stars. and. Yeah, but I think that actor in particular had really bad drug issues. I don't remember his name. Did you never watch The Partridge Family? Nope. Oh, that's good. Um, according to Neighbors, the apartment was really gross. <laughs> quote apartment is really gross isn't there like a spongebob episode that's like something is really gross oh no 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 it was in it was in cloudy with a chance of meatballs and and it was about sardines and it was like sardines are quote really gross <laughs> i thought you seen the movie like 13 times i know because i was like i just heard this quote and it's not spongebob and that's when Swallow Falls went downhill when everyone realized that sardines are really gross. So, yeah, similar news headline. Um, they also said it smelled like urine. Casual. Uh, neighbors also noticed that the kids seemed fearful, nervous, and high-strung, but like a good neighbor, no one was there. So nobody did anything. Was Dave Homer even around? I, I, don't, I don't know when it was established. You're not up on the lore of State Farm? The lore? The history? No. Um... But nobody did anything. So they suffered years and years of torture and abuse. This included beating them, force-feeding them, burning them with cigarettes, and even throwing knives at them. That is a SpongeBob thing. Dietro, like, Patrick forgets to eat or how to eat one time. SpongeBob's like, do I need to go get the funnel? Ew. That's like, uh, what's that movie where... Oh, it was an episode of Grimm. Never mind. I'm really killing it with the uh, references. There's an episode of Grimm where there's, like, this bird-like character who... Like, Grimm is, you know, characters that are merged with humans, right? 
And there's this bird character who can have the ability to, like, lay a golden egg. It's a goose character. So this woman kidnaps her. Force feeds her. And force feeds her to get her, like, fat to get a golden egg. And it's just this, like, bird character that's just chained up in this house being force-fed worms. It's really sad. Anyway. Um, she made the kids help. Does this sound familiar to you? Yet? No? no? Really? Wow. She made the kids help with the abuse. She made them hold each other down while she beat and tortured them. And she would have them beat and torture each other. And she would threaten them. One time, Teresa got really drunk and angry and held a pistol to Terry's head, the youngest daughter, and threatened to kill her. Terry said that she had nightmares t- like from then on about that. And after that particular incident, Teresa tried to be nice by taking them on a trip to the woods for a hike. When interviewed, Terry said, It was beat us, lock us in our room for days, and then she'd be all lovey-dovey. So she was very roller coaster. Manic depressive. Yeah, and you never knew which Teresa you'd get. She also used... (laughs) I'm sorry, there's like no reason I should ever laugh at this, except this is kind of funny to me. When she wanted to... (laughs) I mean, it is funny. I'm sorry, but when she wanted to teach them a lesson, she used a plank that she called the Board of Education. Nice. Did you draw a face on it, too? Call it plank? No. No. Not at any... I mean, it's kind of... I mean, it's funny to me. But she used... I mean, it's not funny. Mm -hmm. Let me get that straight. But she called it the Board of Education. And she would beat them with that. And... Very frequently, she would use Howard, the oldest son, to help her because when they started to get older, she couldn't restrain them as well. So he would hold them down and help her beat them. Um, And most of her abuse was directed at Susan and Sheila, her older two daughters, and that's because they were starting to mature and they were becoming... Yeah, physically attractive, and she didn't think this was fair because she was getting older and less attractive. So she was really angry at them. And like I said, she had gained a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. So she was not happy with how she looked, and these women are becoming very beautiful. So she was very upset about that. Um... At first, most of her abuse... I said it went to Susan and Sheila, but at first, most of it went to Susan, the older daughter... She believed that, like I said, Susan was very, uh, she was very close to her husband, Chester, the editor. Uh She believed that when they were close, Chester turned Susan into a witch. Okay. You know? And she was convinced that as a witch, Susan was making her overweight. She was casting a spell on her. So she got a brunt of the abuse. So she just... Insane. Oh, she's got... Yeah. I mean, she fully believes that Susan is constantly casting spells on her. Um, on, one ca- one, on one occasion of beatings and torture, Susan was able to run away from the house, and she was picked up by police and taken to a psychiatric hospital where she told the staff that she was being beaten and abused at home. And this is where it's so different now than it was in the... 70s, early 80s, 
because uh, Teresa shows up and is like, oh, my daughter has a mental illness. Nothing's wrong. And they don't look into it further. Even now, I feel like they might not look into it. I think if a child tells you that she's being beaten, they look into it. At least somewhat. They were just like, oh, okay, and sent her home. So she goes back home. Uh, As punishment, Teresa beats Susan while wearing leather gloves. And maybe you can explain this to me. I'm not sure how wearing leather gloves makes it worse. Makes it worse? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't know either. But they were... Every single article specified that she was using leather gloves. I don't know. Maybe if you slap her, it hurts more. I mean, yeah, slapping will hurt more. But, like, punching probably would hurt less. I don't know. The... So, she's being beaten with leather gloves, and also all of her siblings had to give her extra beating, so they each had to take a turn. And one of her siblings didn't beat her hard enough, so had to keep doing it. And then she was handcuffed to her bed and couldn't leave. Um... At this point, Teresa decides to pull all of her children out of school and keep them at home. At no point did any of their kids say anything at school about this. I mean, they're all really scared, so I guess not. Um, So they're all pulled out, and um, they all have to stay at home. Teresa continues to believe that she's getting spells cast on her, so she keeps Susan handcuffed to her bed and refuses to give her food for multiple days. And the more that Susan denies casting spells on her, the angrier Teresa gets until one day she shoots Susan in the chest with a twenty-two caliber pistol. The same one that killed her husband? Or she shot him no, with a rifle? No, she shot him with a rifle. This is the same one she held to ter- uh, Terry's head that one time, though. So the bullet gets lodged in her back, but Teresa denies her any medical attention and just leaves her in the bathtub, basically to die. However, miraculously, Susan survives this, and Teresa decides to get her siblings to get her back to health, so they're all taking care of her. In 1983, this is a year later, Susan is forced to work as a prostitute to get money for the family. Teresa doesn't have a job at all, She's just getting money from the state to support the family. So she's working as a prostitute through 1983 and 1984. And in July 1984, Teresa gets in an argument with Susan, resulting in her stabbing her in the back with a pair of scissors. Again, not getting her any medical attention. A few weeks later... Susan has recovered from this for the most part, and she's like, I need to get out of this house. So she asks Teresa if she can move out of the house, and Teresa actually agrees under one condition, that she lets her take the bullet out of her back so that that can't be used against her if she should go to the police and say she was getting abused. So Susan agrees and says that's fine. So she gives her Melaril which I had never heard of. It was it used to be an antipsychotic, but it was eventually banned because it started causing really bad cardiac arrhythmias. So she gives her a few of these pills and a quart of liquor, which is I don't know how many ounces. Do you know how many ounces are in a quart? A quart is a fourth of a gallon, so. 128 is in a gallon? Yeah. Let's divide by four. 
What's divided by 2? 64. Divide that by 2. 32? 32 ounces of liquor? Well, she probably didn't drink at all. Probably. Do you think she made her drink a quart? Yeah, because she passes out real bad. <laughs> so she passes out. I don't know. Maybe that's an. Maybe that's a high end. But she does pass out. I imagine she's like here. Here's like this like, drink. It handle. maybe hands. Maybe hands it to her and she drinks until she passes out. So she passes out, and while she's out, Teresa had her 15 year old son Robert Jr. remove the bullet with an exacto knife. So Robert has to stick his hand in his sister's back. Real gross. And lo and behold, no surprise here, over the following day, she develops a severe infection and has septicemia. She had, was in severe amounts of pain. Her eyes started to yellow and she could not control her bowels at all. Jaundice. Yeah. And meanwhile, this entire time, Teresa has her handcuffed to a table with no food or water except one day a week where she gives her sugar water. So Susan's health is declining to the point where it's not worth it for Teresa to keep her around. So on July 16th, 1984, when she's 17 years old, Teresa got all of Susan's stuff in trash bags, tied her arms and legs together and put duct tape over her mouth and put her in her car. She and her siblings drove up to Squaw Valley, which is in Sacramento County, and put her on the side of the road, doused her in lighter fluid and her stuff. Oh, no. Doused her in her stuff in gasoline, sorry, and lit her on fire. Her body was found the next day, and the autopsy said that she was still alive when she was lit on fire. And they couldn't get a positive ID on her because her remains were so far gone. So she was just classified as Jane Doe number 4873-84. slash um, when they found her body, they found a bunch of her belongings with her, which included clothes and also disposable diapers. So that suggests that, like, I mean, she, we knew she was chained up for days and uh-huh. she was just wearing diapers. And during the autopsy, they found that she had an ovarian tumor caused by severe beating, life-threatening injuries, and that, um, at her age, she weighed around 110 to 115 pounds. After Susan died, Teresa switched her uh, focus over to her daughter, Sheila, in May of 1985. So this is after her sister dies. Sheila is forced into prostitution to support the family. And when she wasn't working as a Forced by, like, she saw herself as no other choice she has to do this, or her mother was like, you need to be a prostitute. No, her mom. Her mom forced both daughters into prostitution. Okay, sorry about the dogs in the background. Bear with us. Those are our landlord's dogs. Um, so yeah, she was forced into prostitution by her mom. By I'm, I'm assuming her mom threatened her. Uh-huh. So, threatened, like, for life their siblings or something? What? Threatened, like, if you don't do this, like, your brothers are going to get it. Yeah, or her or something. Yeah, I mean, she was... Torturing them in every aspect possible, including psychologically. So who who even knows? Or maybe, like, you do this, you'll get food or something like that. Um, so when she wasn't working as a prostitute, she was either handcuffed to a table or her bed and was beaten and starved. 
At one point, Teresa accused her of being pregnant and blamed her for an STI. Like, Teresa was like, I have this STI now, and you gave it to me because we share a toilet. Which, doctors know that's not how that works. And also, Teresa never went to the doctor, so, you know, who knows if it was an STI. Could have been a really bad UTI or a yeast infection, who knows. But she blamed her for that and was like, you're pregnant. And Sheila denies everything. She says, that's not true. This is not what's happening. And so Teresa beats her, ties her up, and locks her in a closet that was 16 inches wide by 24 inches deep with shelves. And she's all hogtied up in there. She told the other kids never to give her food or water, that she was being punished. Um, But one day, Teresa is out of the house and Terry sneaks her a beer. I love this beer, man. Speaking of beer, this is very good. And I'm not just saying that. Um, um, at the end of the, toward the end of the punishment, Sheila confesses, sorry, I'm looking down. Toward the end of the punishment, Sheila confesses and says, okay, I'm pregnant. I gave you an STI. I'm sorry. Please just let me out. And it's never what they want though. I know. Teresa is like, you're lying. And so of course she does not let her out. And Terry, when she was interviewed later, remembers her sister crying out, help me over and over and over. And at one point, they hear a thud from the closet, and that was apparently the last thing they ever heard, because on June 21st, 1985, at 20 years old, she died in the closet of dehydration and starvation. And it wasn't until three days later that they even discovered that she was dead. So she was pretty much ignored all the time. But it started to smell, so they opened the closet and found that she had died, in fact. So Teresa had her son's take the body, put it in a cardboard box, drive it to a nearby airport, and drop it off. Solid. And it was discovered that day, but it was not positively ID'd. Uh, she was a Jane Doe as well, number 6,607-85. There's a lot of Jane Doe's. You don't think that it's just like a running number? And that no. The 85 is then like... No, it's the year. Yeah, I know, but it's like the year, but if it's like... We had 2,000 and like 63 or whatever, and uh-uh. then we're going to start 2,001 six, at no, 64. No, because the Jane Doe system, there are definitely more than 6,000 Jane Doe's by 1985. I think that's for the year. Think about how many people die, you know? And maybe they don't have anybody to ID them. That's a Jane Doe. Or John Doe. Well, but okay. But you know what I mean? I don't know. Um. So... Sheila's decomposition caused an awful smell in the apartment, and Teresa was really worried that it could implicate her in Sheila's death. So, if the neighbors smelled anything or anything like that. So, on September 30th, 1986, Teresa and her family members move out of the apartment, and she ordered her daughter Terry to set fire to the apartment. So, Terry dumps three containers of lighter fluid on the apartment and sets it on fire. And flees the scene, but neighbors quickly report it, so it actually didn't burn a whole lot. Um, After this, Teresa goes into hiding. Terry leaves Teresa and uses Sheila's ID to pass as an adult, because she's a a juvenile still at this point. Uh, Howard wanted nothing to do with the family. He's way old enough to be on his own, so he moves off. William moves in with a girlfriend, and Robert Jr. is the only one that stays with Teresa. 
Um, on November, in November 1991, Robert Jr. was arrested for shooting a bartender at a bar called Red's Place, which is funny because there's a Red's Place in Ithaca, but he's in Las Vegas at Red's Place, and he shoots a bartender and kills him. So he's arrested for that. And after escaping from the family, Terry, the youngest one, tries to report her sister's murders to a bunch of different people, but nobody believes her. They think it's so extreme and so bizarre that it can't be true, which is so frustrating. This poor girl is like, please listen to me. Mm -hmm. She's trying to do everything she can, and nobody wants to listen. But on October 28th, 1993, after watching America's Most Wanted... John Walsh. I've never seen that show. You never stayed up until like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night? When? In the 90s? I wasn't allowed. Or early 2000s. I wasn't allowed. My bedtime was nine. I had a TV with like rabbit ears. What? I'm... You had a TV with rabbit ears on it? Yeah, in my in my room. Like, it was a bunny TV? No, like rabbit ears, like antenna. Oh, <laughs> I was picturing like... You know how they have, like, Mickey Mouse TVs with, like, Mickey Mouse ears? I'm thinking, like, you have a bunny TV. Not rabbit ears. You had a TV in your bedroom? Yeah. No, that was not allowed. No. Mm-mm. Sometimes I would sneak down to the computer in the middle of the night in middle school and go on IM. And then my parents would be wake up and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, nothing! And I would run upstairs. <laughs> yeah. A lot of uh, America's Most Wanted and also Maury. When I got home from school. Maury. Maury Povich, my man. I've watched a whole lot of Maury. Because it was on, yeah, when we got home from school. But I was never allowed to stay up that late. Um, so she watches America's Most Wanted. She gets inspired. And she contacts them. And she's like, listen, please. This is what happened to my sisters. And they take it seriously. And they tell her to talk to some detectives in the Sacramento area. So she talks to these detectives, tells them exactly what happened, and they're able to link that story to the two Jane Does in the county, and it's a dead match for what happened to them. So they're like, oh crap, this actually happened. Thank God someone listened eventually. Um... So, on November 4th, 1993, William, one of the sons, was arrested. Robert Jr. had been char- was charged with his sister's murder while he was serving his 16-year sentence for shooting the bartender. Uh-huh. And then, on November 10th, 1993, Teresa was arrested in Salt Lake City. She was traced there because she had a DUI charge. Um, and then on November 15th, 1993, she was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special charges, which are multiple murders and murder by torture. She's got a lot of charges. And she pleads, not guilty. My kids did it. This isn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. And she got away with it before. She's probably like, this is going to work. Except... Guess what happens? They have corroborating witnesses. Robert Jr.'s like, I'll give you the entire story about my mom as long as I don't get charged as much. So she finds out Robert Jr. is going to testify and say everything that happened. So she says, okay, fine. I'll tell you that I did it. I'll plead guilty as long as you don't give me the death sentence. 
So on October 17, 1995, she's sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. And she's eligible for parole in 2027, when she'll be 81. How does that work? She's got two life sentences with the possibility of parole. Okay. I was going to say, how she's was... She's eligible for parole. How was her life, like... How did they value her life at, like, 20 years? No. She's, she's got the possibility for parole in 2027. It's not guaranteed. But if she does get parole, she'll be 81 by that point. William was only sentenced to probation and therapy. And in order to testify against his mother, he had all of the charges dropped, except for accessory after the fact, which added three years to his 16-year sentence. Um... After arresting Teresa, the police reopened a case regarding her sister, Rosemary, who was found strangled many, 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 many years ago mm-hmm. on a road in Sacramento, but they found that she had nothing to do with it, but they had like a rocky relationship. They were always vying for their mother's attention and, you know. You never know. Rosemary also was like, my sister could totally kill someone so that nobody else could have him. So... They were like, maybe she did this too, but she didn't. In 2016, Robert Jr. had gotten done with his sentencing, and but then got a, an additional eight years in federal prison because he was found that he distributed and possessed child pornography. Great guy. Um, there's a book called Mother's Day about this case, if you're ever interested in learning more about it. And in 2011, at around 40 years old or so, unfortunately, Terry died from a heart attack. So the one good egg of all of it. Not like, okay, so like... I mean, they're all Robert Jr. sucks because he's got child pornography and stuff. But like, he had this horrible upbringing. William, like, I don't think really did a whole lot. So he doesn't really suck so much. Howard's just like, well, they all wore peace out. accessories. They didn't say anything about anything going yeah. on. But, like, poor Terry. And I looked at, like, findagrave.com, you know, our favorite. And there was a picture of Terry. And she had, like, kids and grandkids. Or I think it must have been grandkids. Although 40 is pretty young to have grandkids. But, like, they were little kids. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But uh, she looked happy and nice. And she tried so hard to get justice for her sisters so many times before America's Most Wanted actually listened but unfortunately she died from a heart attack at a very young age and that's the story of sheila and susan nor and their mother Teresa. it's so sad it's so messed up in so many ways every way all the ways well thank god there i mean it's a small silver lining but from what I read there was no sexual abuse. Yeah. So, thankfully, that's the case. Ooh. Bottle. You don't get a lot of bottles these days. What's that? Allagash Saison. Allagash is in Portland, Maine, right? Yep. Shout out to my Portland family, including Annie, who did our intro. That smells like... If I were to know what marijuana smells like... And you have no reason to know what marijuana smells like. It's not legal in New York, but if I knew what it smelled like, it would smell like that, I think. 
does that not smell like that to you? I mean, a little bit. Oh, wait. No, I have reason. We lived in Colorado. It's fine. We know what weed smells like. It smells like that. Farmhouse-style Belgian. It smells nice, though. I'm mm. very happy with this stout. I, I, I'm I, going to keep saying it, but I'm the flavor profile in this is actually really, uh, really good for any stout. For any stout. Well, gluten-free, gluten-free has an uphill battle. Montreal knows how to do it. Let me tell you, the Canadians have a lot of things figured out. Apparently, gluten-free beer is one of them. It's the thing that I was going to look up, it says it on top of my page. <laughs> you thought of, past Alex already thought of current Alex's problems. Yep. That's nice. Um, so my story is actually the story that I was going to do for our first episode, but I ended up switching it. I don't remember how I did the Cornell, the Cornell one for my first story. That was a good one. Why did you switch it? Um, because I never, I didn't ever finish in time. That one's upside down. Um, I had like half of it, more three quarters of it done. I just didn't finish it. So I did the Cornell one because that was like near and dear and easy. Easy, but you know, like nobody knew about that that I knew. Um, so. Today, I will tell you the tale. <laughs> you sound like a fourth grader starting their book report. Of John George Haig. That's H-I-G-H. Is that what you looked up was how to pronounce his name? No, what his actual, like, what his moniker name oh. was. Oh, he's a moniker. He's a moniker. Um, but I was just like, making sure that I pronounced his last name correct. Okay. I guess it doesn't really matter because he's a murderer, but whatever. Yeah, suck it, John George. John George. Um, John George was born on July the seventh month, right? Because I wrote seven. Yeah. Okay. He was born July twenty fourth, um, nineteen oh nine. Whoa, we're going back in time. I I wrote oh nine off for a second. I also wanted to say two thousand nine. No. So July twenty fourth, um, nineteen oh nine in Lincolnshire, uh, England. Ah. Um, he was raised in a very religious family who saw the Bible as, like, the supreme church authority. Even, like, the Pope or somebody says something, is like, nope, whatever the Bible says oh, is what goes. One of those. Um, John would eventually become a choir boy, so he's, like, the epitome of, like, goodness. Choir boys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, choir boys can have a really tough life. Yeah, I'm sure. I didn't mention anything about that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up like I don't remember what the exact name or like or the sect of religion or Christianity they his family was growing up, but he went to a school that followed the like more traditional like Catholic approach. Okay. So when he was a choir boy, he suff- started suffering from like a crisis of faith. Like literally, he's like this one. My family is like this. So this church is like this. I can't like these two don't compute. So he's not going to a church that matches his home religion. He what he was like at like a religious school or like a. He was like raised evangelical, but was going Catholic. Yeah, or like a Christian, or like more Christian kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. And he's like these don't compute. Like they're not the same. Yeah, so he started suffering from uh, recurring religious nightmares. Oh no. Um, often involving trees that are like spouting blood. Oh my god. I don't. I don't know oh what that god. could possibly simplify or <laughs> signify. Oy. Um, it's possible that here he also started to be the. Display signs of uh, hematomania, which is obsessive like, blood. Yeah, like 
But like in a good mania is a positive usually. Obsessed I, with blood. Yeah. Interesting. Because I don't know how often is he had these nightmares, got, but he started. He's like psychotic. He's having like a psychotic break. Yeah, kind of. Um, so John left school at 17 and apprenticed um, as a motor engineer for a time. He stayed on for about a year and then took various jobs afterwards in both insurance and advertising. Oh, there were cars by the 20s, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think mean, that's when they started, right? Henry Ford, I feel like, was in the 18-somethings. Oh. I don't know. Sorry. Um, around the age of 21, he was fired from his job. I didn't see what job he was working at the time, but... Motor. Well, he, he was a, a motor engineer. We started at 17, did that for about a year, and oh. then afterwards he was uh, insurance advertising jobs. Oh. Um, but at the age of 21, he was fired from his job because... Um, the boss suspected him of stealing a cash box. Yeah, I'd fire him too. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you were gonna say that something to do with blood, and no. I was gonna be like, "Yeah, fire that guy now." Uh, John afterwards became unsatisfied with working for others, and he's like, "I don't know, this doesn't is what I envisioned for my life, so I'm gonna go into business for myself." And that's when he started selling human corpses. No, I was gonna say like essential oils or makeup or something like that and he went door to door hey girl hey oh my god he could be like marie what's her face no marie what's her name who put blood on herself to make herself youthful marie laveau and he went door to door for that what is that woman's name she murdered like She's allegedly like the oh the the countess in yeah. England who murdered like five hundred virgins or whatever yeah yeah um, that's now, his new business. John went to business uh, forging vehicle documents. Oh, or that. So you know, it's all good. Um, July sixth, nineteen thirty four. He marries Beatrice. Um, people call her Betty. Um, they apparently didn't really know each other very long before going. And getting married, and mm. so the marriage quickly went downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, about four months into the marriage, John is arrested for uh, fraud. Mm. Wow, shocker! Yep. Um, about a month later, they get divorced, but he gets uh, he gets charged with fraud and gets sentenced to fifteen months in prison. Um. And while he was in prison, Betty gave birth to a baby girl, but she then gave the the girl up for adoption and then left John. Oh, she that's what now what she wanted for her life, I guess. That's fair. Um, it's at this point John's family like ostracizes him. He's like, "This is not like what we raised you to be, so you're done. Do he's really not following the do Bible. whatever you're gonna do in your life, but we're not helping you at all." I've never read the Bible. I read like an illustrated version, but I don't think it says anything about like auto fraud in it well they didn't know what cars were well but any kind of fraud i don't think it's in there uh probably it's probably one of the ten commandments dude don't, i my don't illustrated, lie and steal my illustrated bible side note had a like a picture of that one story with that one guy who throws babies out or something solomon or something like mm-hmm. he's not about babies he like throws every other baby out or something i don't know and it had all these like baby's heads it's like the like the spartans Ugh. i was like what is this mom she's like it's an illustrated children's bible i was like this is religion yeah um 
So yeah, John's family ostracized him. His wife left him. His daughter got given up for adoption. He gets out of prison and moves to London in uh, 1936. And there he starts uh, acting as a chauffeur to William McSwan and the McSwan family, who owned a bunch of arcades in London. Um, arcades in this sense, I'm not really sure. Maybe like poker and things like yeah. that? Maybe like a casino? Um, I don't think it's like Pac-Man. No, it's not Pac-Man because that definitely doesn't no, exist No, I know, yet. I know. It's got to be like cards. Does pinball exist yet? No, there's no way. Because a lot of articles mention that he was maintaining the McSwan's machines. Ah, maybe it exists. I don't know. Plinko? Craps. That's not a machine. Whatever. Um, so he's acting as a chauffeur and doing that from the McSwans. Mm-hmm. Um, following this, John also then started to become a solicitor, or pretending to be a solicitor, named, named William Cato Adamson. He sold fraudulent stock shares from, quote-unquote, deceased clients. Gosh, this guy. He's really great. Sleazy. Yep. So as he's going about doing this, uh, pretending to like, or selling pretend stocks, I guess, he said he had multiple offices throughout the country, including London, Guilford, and Surrey. Um, this racket went on until somebody noticed that he mis- he noticed they had misspelled, he had misspelled Guildford for Guileford. I like how you called it a racket. I've never heard you use that word before. And I don't you know. typed out your notes and yeah. you wrote the word racket. I wrote the word racket. That was the word that came to your brain when you wrote your notes. Was yeah. racket. Um, That's hilarious. So they yeah uh, they notice he misspelled a town. Right. And they're like, it's probably fishy. not legit. Yeah. A, a, like a legit businessman wouldn't have misspelled this town. Right. So he gets found out and he's sent to jail again for fraud, um, serving and he serves four years. And he gets out just after the start of World War II. Oh. So, you know, it's a great time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're alive, yeah, it's a great time yep. because you're alive. At least there's that. Uh, without, within a year of being out, he's back in jail for 21 months for theft. Oh, this guy. Um, and at some point in his life, in his prison visits, he determines that, you know, I keep ending up in jail because people are alive to tell the tale. So I gotta, I gotta get rid of him. That's the problem. Um, also, at some point, he found out about. I didn't never looked up how to say this. So George Alexandra Saray, he was a French killer who, in 1925, killed two people and disposed of their bodies in sulfuric acid. Mm. So at some point, he found out about that, and it's like, that sounds good. I mean, I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Yep. I. I. Yeah. So let's get to the first murder. Let's get to it. So he got out of jail again after uh, being in jail for 21 months for theft and bumps into his old uh, business acquaintance slash boss, uh, William McSwan. Right, of the McSwan machines. Yep. Um, at this point, William is working for his parents, collecting rent on their properties throughout London. And uh, John's like, that sounds pretty good. I'm like... They, he makes sounds like he's making a lot of money, doing pretty well in life. So, hire me again. I want your life, pretty much. I want to be you. Yep. So he gets up, gets out of prison, socializes with uh, William for a while, and then um, he's like, "Hey, you want to go to the pub?" And on September 9th, <gasps> 1944. That's your birthday. Yep. Uh, John and William meet at the pub, and then. John just is overcome with bloodlust and is like, I gotta kill this guy right now. Yeah, right now. So he lures William back to his uh, 
he could, like rented out like part of a warehouse nearby so he was like let one come back to my my, my new office warehouse area mm, um so i got some new products i want you to try for my pyramid so he uh he lures him back there and then hits him over the head and then slits his throat with the board of education i don't know it just said blunt object after uh, slitting his throat, John got a mug and filled it with some blood and drank it. Mm-mm. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yep. No, he didn't. Wait, you just like da 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 da, hit him over the head, da 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 da, stein of his beard, of his beard, stein of his blood. He didn't drink an entire glass, but he oh did drink God, some of it. Oh my God! Stop it! He didn't. And then he cut the body up and put it up in a vat or a barrel of uh, sulfuric acid how that he had buy, purchased. Okay, how do you buy a barrel of sulfuric acid? You say, my name is John Haig, and I am some, some profession that requires me to have this amount of sulfuric acid. Oh and people are like, okay. Nobody questions it? Nope. Um, he then seals up the barrel, and he goes home. Yeah. He's like, let the acid do its work. I mean it. Yeah. Um, after the first murder, he also apparently suffered from blood-filled nightmares. Nightmares. Like when he like was like the a, trees. Yeah. Um, John came back the next day though and saw that William wasn't there anymore, and he just poured all the sludge down to the drain, and that was William's gone. It's smart. It really is. Um. So in order to avoid suspicion from William's parents, he's like, I got to do something about this. And then he would apparently go to Scotland, Scotland, yes, go to Scotland once a week to send his parents, William's parents, like letters saying, I went to Scotland to avoid the draft. And so he was, he did that for a while, just like went to Scotland once a week and sent letters to his parents. Um, Yeah, well, that was a hand up. He mm-hmm. was... Yeah. May I have another drink, please? Graft! A little graft hot mimosa. Okay, I'm sorry. So he kept up this uh, going to Scotland, sending letters for about a year until he was able to devise a way to get the McSwan seniors' money. So on... They, his parents are just like, you were the last to hang out with him, also it's fine. I don't mean I don't know that they knew he met up. Oh, just, he just like walked down the street and was like, "Hey, buddy, how's it going? You want to get a drink in like a month?" Right. So on July second, nineteen forty-five, John lured the McSwans into the same place that his their son was killed and killed them in a similar fashion, hitting them over the head with a blunt instrument and then drinking some of their blood. No! Oh, I was hoping you'd say that did he didn't do that. No, he. He reportedly, or purportedly, drank their blood, Ooh. and then dissolved them, and then dumped them down the main hole after oh. they had dissolved. That really, the blood drinking really is not. It makes me feel sick because of my tonsils issues that I had. It most people don't know. I had a pretty bad uh, tonsillectomy experience that involved a lot of blood. So now I'm very skeevy about blood in my mouth. <laughs> So he killed him, and then he set about set out to uh, secure the fortunes and properties. I ended up doing that, and he, at, at the time he made about six thousand pounds, which it sounds really high because I put it into like a calculator, and it says it's now two hundred and forty-six thousand pounds. But it's weird because then if you like, I tried to calculate it back to U.S. U.S. dollars, and it, 
the U.S. dollar was just not doing great, I guess, because it really didn't get that high. Oh, well, yeah, but those those calculators are pretty fun. Yeah. That's how I used it. I used one of those ones. Um, so John lived off the money for a while, for about a, a half a year, but his like now new opulent lifestyle and yeah, gambling. Yeah, I was going to say, what the heck, man? What's he doing with that? He lost most of it in about half, half a year. And um, the McSwan's Arcade. Yeah, the McSwan's Arcade, which I guess is now his, and then he, I guess he still technically owned it, but hmm. it's after that he meets and befriends Dr. Archibald Henderson and his wife Rosalind, who, and they just happened to be selling their house, and John learned about all the other properties they had. He was like, you're going to be next. Um... So he learns about all the couple's properties and stuff they own. So John's like, I'm going to move my warehouse just a little bit closer. Like, I'm going to take all the stuff from my warehouse, find a place that's a little mm-hmm. closer to the couple, you know, in the event that I need to do it, which Quickly, I will. Yeah. Um, February 12th, 1946, John drove the doctor, or Dr. Archibald, the husband, yeah. to his warehouse where he shot him. And then he went back to the couple's house and convinced Rosalind to come back to the warehouse. And he shot her also. Uh-huh. And he exposed both their bodies in acid. Also drank their blood. No! Okay. All right. But well, this no. time... No. Archibald didn't dissolve entirely. There was a little bit of his uh, foot left. <gasps> John's, John's like, that's... This is fine. And he just, like, threw the foot out in, like, the back... Like, the vacant lot behind Seriously? his warehouse. And it's like... Dispose, disposed of fine. everything else no problem. as he had. What is this guy's foot made out of? <laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> I, I just imagine he has like the same vat and he just keeps using it and like skimming off whatever bits he needs. So it's just getting more and more diluted. Yeah, or maybe it wasn't in for as long. Um, yeah, the foot didn't dissolve. Ew, ew. But John just was able foot. to forge enough documents to secure the Archibalds. Archibalds and... Uh, Henderson, his last name, secure their um, properties, and he got about eight thousand pounds. I didn't calculate uh, this, but more than what it was, like two, three, yeah, whatever, four hundred thousand or something like, yeah, three hundred fifty. Um, so he lives, did the same thing. He lives off that for a bit, but then gambling and whatnot leads to him spending it pretty quickly. Wow, he's feeding his own problem. Yep. I mean, you come into a bunch of money pretty quickly. You're just gonna be like, I. This is fine. Like two hundred forty-six thousand is not going to go all that quickly, but then no, it does. No, everything goes quickly in gambling. Yeah. Um. So a little bit passes, and John then meets Olive Durand Deacon, who is a sixty-nine-year-old woman, and they socialize for a while, and then one day she's like, "You know, I've heard you're a pretty good, like inventor, or like." Because he's got, like, warehouse, so I imagine he's selling himself as some yeah. kind of inventor or something. And she's like, I got a really good idea for artificial fingernails. And John's like, let's talk about it back in my warehouse. <laughs> she had an idea for fake nails? Yeah, wow. apparently. Um, he then, you know, he brought her back to his warehouse eight, uh, February 18th, 1949. Shot her and drank some of her blood. Mm-hmm. And then disposed of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only this time he only got about 250 pounds. Oh, not even worth it. No. The old lady didn't got nothing. Maybe if you, you Maybe. Let, let her make her fake yeah, nails. Yeah, dude. You could have had a fortune. 
Um, and something tells me, like, never mind, never mind. I was going to say, like, I feel like old lady blood would, I feel like the older, never mind. The more fatty there is. I just feel like it would be worse. It's like veal. You got to get the the young stuff when it has been worked as much. Oh, my God. This is when people are going to flag us. Um, about two days later, Olive's friend reports her as missing. And then police find out about... She's like, I guess Olive's friend knew that... She was meeting with him. Yeah. Yeah. So police quickly find out about John's previous records, arrest records for fraud and theft and stuff. So they enter his warehouse <gasps> and they find receipts for... Um, Related to all his possessions, they found her, like, fur coat there, um, notes on DeHenderson's McSwans that he'd been keeping. Um, this warehouse didn't have a drain, so all the remains from, like, all the barrel melting was just dumped out in a back lot, and the police were able to find... The part foot! Of, part of a foot. The foot! Um, a human gallstone, <gasps> uh, some dentures from Olive, <laughs> and about 28 pounds of human fat. Oh my god! This is a blob of fat. Yep. Oh, this God. This a blob monster in the backyard. Oh, God. So, obviously, police are like, this guy killed people. Um, so, they brought him in, arrested him, and he goes to trial. Um, John tries to get off, like, getting convicted by pleading insanity, saying he was suffering from vampirism. Interesting. But uh, they weren't really having that. Mm-hmm. He also admitted to killing two other people, Max and Mary. Hmm. He just said, like, from, like, Surrey. But police couldn't find anything about that. Interesting. Uh, fun fact, John also apparently drank his own urine in jail. That's... I don't know what 1949 jail was like. Maybe they didn't give you enough water, but maybe he was also trying to ramp up the insanity. Yeah, or maybe he had multiple, like, disgusting things he liked to drink. Mm-hmm. So it is believed that John misunderstood the um, legal term corpus delicti. I don't know Latin. Um, that a crime has to be like proven to be all be able to be convicted. So in John's mind, it's like nobody. You can't prove me of killing anybody. So he melting people in acid. But um, yeah, believing nobody, he couldn't be charged. But obviously that didn't work out for him because they did find a foot. Yeah, that's probably that's also why he's like. Foot doesn't matter because it's not a body. They can't prove I, <laughs> you know, and it was ever attached you to take it. Take a toe print, or is it just fingers? I don't think they often take toe prints, so there's it's no probably way to. It's so worn, right? I don't know. Yeah, but if you took a toe print, what were you? How are you going to match it to anything? To your toe print. What are the? Oh yeah, nobody takes toe prints. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Unless, unless right. you like, okay. had like some podiatry issue what if you had one of those baby ornaments like baby's first christmas and it was a foot you'd have to then murder a baby and you could no 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 you're to- like your fingerprints don't change they just get bigger right i guess so if you had a baby ornament baby's first christmas and a toe print um the jury deliberated for like four minutes before they sent him to the death penalty <laughs> they were not having any of the insanity or anything <laughs> Um, so before his hanging, he was asked if he wanted, uh, wanted a brandy and his like, oh. basically last words were make it a large one, old boy. Old oh boy. Wow. That's so nice. Is yeah. that how they do it in England? I guess. I'd take a brandy. I don't even want brandy. So then John was hanged, uh, August 10th, 1949. 
And uh, another fun fact, the editor of the Daily Mirror, which is the newspaper over there. I don't yeah, know if yeah, it yeah. Still exists. I've heard of it. Yeah, no, it does. Um, Sylvester Bolum, he was sentenced to three months for contempt of court for calling John a murderer when the trial was still underway. Oh. But um, that's a dis. Quick, speedy run through. John George Haig, the acid bath murderer. Oh, the acid bath murderer. I was like, when the moniker? Yep. That was good. That was a good one. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Say so that was going to be the first one, but. That was so good. Wow. What a, what a, what a ride. Do you want to do the uh, STFU or do you want me to? You have one from have... when we saw Avengers last night. I, have, I mean, I have a, I have a couple. You have a multiple from yeah from last night from Avengers. Oh God, zero. Um, so I'm standing in line. Francis is off in Target buying stuff to legally sneak into the movie theater. <laughs> and there's a, I guess, a couple or just like a friends waiting in line behind me. How old are they? Younger than us? Yeah, I everyone mean, was younger than us. You saw much. her. She was like right behind us. I pointed her out, saying like she said mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. The guy that was with her, with this couple, he said, if you study China, every problem in their society stems back to communism. That's that's just it. Every problem stems back to communism. Yep. Every problem? Every problem. Every problem. Every problem in China. Communism. That's what the uh, the democratic world wants you to think, that communism is, is the evil. There are a lot of like plagues and and thing and pests and things that originated from China. Communism. Communism. Uh huh. Any problem with like infrastructure or anything? Communism. I guess so. Like pollution and stuff. Communism. Probably. No, definitely. Everything is communism. Every problem in China. Communism. Wait, but okay. Also, communism is not forever, right? Like, communism is a fairly recent thing, right? It's not like back in the way, way back dynasties. The Ming dynasties? That wasn't communism. No, that was monarchy. Right? Yeah. Because monarchy, even like England, England still believed that like, God told me I should rule, so therefore I rule. Because that's basically what... The Chinese well, yeah, the did also. Were the the something of the son of the emperor of the son. I don't remember. Yeah, but I mean, like they they followed the same thing. Where like God told me, I our family I'm is the emperor. Yeah, yeah. Communism. Every problem. Mm. Did they agree with them? She was like they're going back and forth about like political stuff. I mean, uh, it makes me cringe when I hear like some people talk about political stuff. I mean, it's it's not. I'll I'll say another one just because it's a twofer. It's a follow up. Not necessarily. It's just like it's it would be lame on its own. I think. Okay. So they're talking about other political stuff, and then the guy goes, "I don't tend to share my political views often, but I don't like Trump." Wow. It's like wow, really. That's that's wild. And he's like, I don't care. I'll say it. I'll, I'll, I'll say I, it in Ithaca, New York. I don't like. Trump. I don't like Trump. I'll say it. I'll say know? the people, the group in front of me, the guy, a guy did turn around and look at him when he said that, but. Ooh, that's rare. That's rare that someone likes. Although, were you there when I saw the Make America Great hat, uh, Make America Great Again hat at Wegmans? Yep. Not good. But, uh, 
They must have been on a date and he was trying to impress her. Maybe. I mean, that's like trying to peacock, I think. Like, but also, I know politics. That makes me cool. Yes. I also either they were on like a first date seems weird to me. Like you want to stand in line for like an hour before no, you go to the super No, I don't think it was a cra- first date. I think it was probably like a third. Well, either that or they were already dating. They were already like, like a, a third couple. third date. A third date. That's a third date sentence. Standing in line for an hour and then sitting for three hours. And a, that sentence. Yeah, Endgame was a whole experience. But we won't talk about Endgame. We don't need to. That's good. I love me some... Oh my gosh. You just sound dumb. STFUs. That's... That is a moment where I would turn around and want to say, shut the fuck up. Where you're just like trying to... That's not like a... Shut the fuck up. Like, whoa. That's a like, really just shut up moment. He's a mad lad. Huh? He's a mad lad. I'm just doing like like innocuous things but making it up to, like playing it off to be like some huge thing peacocking uh, with no reason he's like a peacock with like molting feathers he's like i still have the feathers but they're really lame yeah well good stuff that'll do it for episode 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 ocho episode that's episode and eight together um if you don't already, please follow us on our social media accounts. That's at Sad Tales Podcast for Twitter and Instagram. We also now have a Facebook page that we're up and running. It's it's slow to, I would say up and walking. It's not running yet, but it'll run soon. So follow us on all of our social media accounts. Our email is also sadtalespodcast at gmail.com. So if you want to send Submit us some... Your own. Yeah, submit your own STFU. Send us some love. Send us a hi. Send us some pictures of your pets. Whatever you want. Feel free to email us or contact us. Um, and leave a review. Tell your friends. Yeah. Let everybody know. Subscribe if you're not subscribed already. And we will be with you in a week. With our new mics. And we'll see how they sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I hope you have a great, great weekend. Your last weekend in April. See you in May. Go see Avengers.